again as we <clears throat> do continue our study in Luke 4. What we see is happening here is the popularity of Jesus is on the rise. He has become what um, we might label in our day a celebrity preacher. His notoriety and his fame has spread. His itinerant ministry, if we want to call it that, this, this traveling ministry that, that Jesus has, has taken him throughout the regions. And stories, stories of his teaching and his miracles have become well known. And though Jesus had been in many places over this, this past year, we see that he had not yet been to his hometown of Nazareth. He had not gone home for quite some while. The folks in Nazareth, no doubt, had heard about Jesus. They had heard about Jesus. They had heard about his miracles. They had heard about his teachings. They had heard about his ministry. But they had not seen him for themselves. Because you see, you do understand that at this time, Jesus lived in Capernaum. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. He was reared in Nazareth. That's why he is called Jesus of Nazareth. Not Jesus of Bethlehem, not Jesus from Capernaum. But Jesus of Nazareth. And these folks from Nazareth, they were his hometown folks. Now, Nazareth was a small town, and small town people lived there. These were his kinfolk. And I can say that because I'm from a small town. And I know small town folk. If you are from a small town like me, you do too. What you learn very quickly in small towns is that everybody knows everybody. And not only does everybody know everybody, but most people are kin to one another. That's why you have to be careful when you go out on dates. You have to make sure you do your background check. Make sure you're not getting too close to a cousin. It happens, Pastor Field. We won't go there today. And because everyone knew <laughs> Let's back that up. <laughs> Because, <laughs> ah, all right, let's back that up. That's not funny, Aunt. <laughs> uh, because everyone knew, I got to look at my notes and not look at you all. All right, well, keep my head down. And because everyone knew everyone the good folks of Nazareth 
thought they knew Jesus. That's what happens. You know, like we do on Facebook these days. Can't tell you how many friends requests I get from people I went to grammar school with, I went to high school with. Immediately I see them, I'm like, you think you know me. You don't know me. You knew me. Now you might know about me, and you might know of me. But you don't know me. They thought they knew Jesus because he was from Nazareth. This was his hometown. This is where his family still lived. And there, and thus, they knew about Jesus. They knew of Jesus. But they didn't know Jesus. And this, 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 is, this exemplifies our world even today, beloved. This is the world now. Many know about Jesus. Books and movies and documentaries are filled with the things he said. They are filled with the things that he did. And people like to read and listen to people talk about Jesus, but fail to come to know the Lord and the Savior, who is Jesus. Jesus, this morning, doesn't want you and I to know about him. He doesn't just want us to know about him. He did not come into this world to be the subject of your history lesson. He did not come to be the star figure in your movie or the subject of your documentary. Jesus came to redeem. He came to save the world. And this, this is the message. This is the message that he brought to Nazareth. This is the message that he brought to his hometown. And his presence there, beloved, was filled, filled with meaning, filled with power, and filled with glory substantive and instructive for us today. He went to Nazareth on a mission, a mission of revelation, revealing who he is and why he came. And you see it there. You see it there, not only in Nazareth, but you see it's his mission throughout his ministry. You see it, it is his mission even today. 
And there's three things that we learn that kind of outline and define the life and ministry of Christ in Nazareth, in the world, and even today. One is his inspiration. The next is his motivation. And then lastly is his ongoing repudiation, his rejection. You see, it's inspiration. What is his inspiration? His inspiration is the Spirit. Always is. Always is. As we have seen before in the Gospel of Luke, as we will see going forward in the ministry of Christ, there is no mistaking the role of the Holy Spirit in the life and work of Jesus. It seems that he never made a move or took a step without the reassuring presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And going home to Nazareth was no different. Notice what it says in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee Filled with the Holy Spirit's power, reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. And beloved, that Jesus is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is not surprising. Should not be surprising to us. Everything about our Lord was according to and in concert with the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, the Bible tells us that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 22, the Bible says that he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And even in Luke chapter 4 and, and verse 1, we are reminded that he was filled and he was led by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. How do we know that he was led by the Spirit? We know that he was led by the Spirit because of what he said. We know that he was led by the Spirit because of what he did. Because of what he did. What did he do? Well, he did two things. When he got to Nazareth, he did two things. The first thing he did was that he went to the house of God. You didn't hear what I said. He was led by the Spirit because he went to the house of God. This is what he did because he was filled with the Spirit. Because this is what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God leads you into the congregation of God. The Spirit of God leads you into the worship of God. True worship, we understand, is Spirit-led. True worship is Spirit-directed. True worship is Spirit-empowered. And therefore, beloved, listen to me this morning, that it is the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, 
that let you and I hear this morning. This is what he does. Wherever you are from, whatever you were doing yesterday, whatever you did last night, it is the Holy Spirit that has brought us together this morning. It's what he does. It is not the Holy Spirit that leads you to stay home on a Sunday morning. That may be a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. It is not the Holy Spirit that leads you to turn on the live stream when you could have easily been in the midst of the congregation. Holy Spirit leads you into the congregation, the solemn assembly this morning. Leads us not to forsake that. The Spirit of the Lord leads us into the presence of the Lord with the congregation of the Lord so that we might do, according to Hebrews 2 and 12, sing praises to the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit does. How do you know you're led by the Holy Spirit? Well, you've come into the congregation of the Beloved. And here, in here, is where the Spirit is pleased to fill his people. Jesus was led by the Spirit because of what he did. He went into the house of God. Not only did he go into the house of God, when he went into the house of God, he went into the Word of God. Because this is what, Spirit, this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what it means to be spirit-led. The Bible says that he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. And after he was handed the scroll of Isaiah, the Bible says that Jesus found Isaiah 61. Why? Because the Spirit of God was upon him. They handed him the scroll. He chose Isaiah 61 because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. It was the same Spirit that led him to quote Deuteronomy chapter 8 to the devil when he was in the wilderness, it is the same spirit that led him to quote Isaiah 61 to the congregation in Nazareth. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the word and brings it to us, awakens us to it that it is a living word so that we hear the word, that our hearts are moved by the word. But not only any word, 
the Holy Spirit gives us an appropriate word, a fitting word, a word in season, as Proverbs 15 and 23 says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. How good it is to hear not just any word, but a seasonal word. A word fitting, rightly applied. Jesus stands up in the congregation and could have quoted anywhere in Isaiah, but he chose Isaiah. 61. This is why, beloved, this is why, this is why we avail ourselves to the Word of God at every chance. That we might, that we might by God's grace and mercy just hide some portion of His Word in our hearts and in our minds. That the Holy Spirit might at that appropriate time pull forth and bring to our remembrance that word in season that would be aptly spoken into our spirits so that we might say how good it is, how fitting it is, how well it is with our souls. Jesus was spirit-led because of what he did. He went into the house of God and he opened the Word of God. But it wasn't just spirit-led because of what he did. He was also spirit-led because of what he said. He spoke about himself. After reading the passage, the Bible says that he began to teach. And from Isaiah 61, in the midst of his hometown folks, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 21, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Beloved, listen. Jesus is sitting in the midst of the congregation of God, and he makes himself the subject of the sermon. Why? Because that's what the Spirit does. That's what the Spirit does. Jesus is Spirit-filled, and Jesus pointed to himself. Why? Because that is what the Spirit does. Faithful preaching is Christ-centered preaching. Faithful preaching exalts and lifts up Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and, and verse 5, he declared in no uncertain terms, for we preach, for what we preach is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, beloved, listen, we don't preach ourselves. 
The preacher is but a servant pointing you to the Savior. Jesus is the Savior pointing you and me to himself. That's what he did that day. In the midst of that congregation, Jesus pointed to himself. Jesus made much of himself. Why? Because that is what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus himself said in John chapter 16 and verse 14 that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify and declare Jesus. And that's what he did. Jesus sat in the middle of his hometown people and he made much of himself. He proclaimed himself. He pointed to himself. And notice that in this, in doing this, beloved, in doing this, Jesus, under this inspiration, revealed his motivation. His motivation for being there, his motivation for coming not just to Nazareth, but coming to this world, his motivation. Ask yourself the question, why was Jesus there that day? Why did he go to Nazareth on that day? Why did the Spirit of the Lord lead him to Nazareth? Why did the Spirit of the Lord lead him into the synagogue? Why did the Spirit of the Lord lead him to Isaiah 61? For one reason, beloved, to proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's it. That was his motivation. That's not only the reason he went to Nazareth. That's not only the reason he went to that synagogue. That is the reason Jesus went anywhere. To proclaim the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God come in Jesus Christ himself. The Spirit led him, the Bible says. Then the Spirit anointed him, the Bible says. And then the Spirit appointed him, the Bible says, to preach the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. What did Jesus, what did Jesus read in Isaiah 61? What well, we see in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19. Jesus, in the midst of those people who thought they knew him, said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now listen, beloved, I am quite sure that this is not the first time that those in that congregation had heard somebody read Isaiah 61. And every time somebody had read Isaiah 61, somebody would begin to teach and talk about Isaiah 61 in the third person. They would say, he is going to come, and the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him, and he will proclaim, and he will set at liberty the captives, and he will declare the year of Jubilee. But when Jesus sat down, he spoke in the first person. And said, today, he is here. When the, when the Bible says in Isaiah 61, that the Spirit is upon me, Jesus declared, I am he. Make no mistake about it, beloved. Make no mistake about it. When Jesus sat down and declared that the Spirit of the Lord of the Lord had anointed him and appointed him to preach the gospel that day. He was declaring to his hometown folk that he was the chosen one. Now you try that. That he is the chosen one. Not Tiger Woods. Not LeBron James, not Kanye West. Jesus, the chosen one, the chosen one, the one whom the Spirit of God had chosen was there. You know, that's what the sovereign Spirit of God does. It's the sovereign Spirit, the sovereign Spirit of God who does the choosing. Always is. Always is. Go back and read your Bible. It wasn't Abraham who chose the Spirit of God. It was God who chose Abraham that he would be a great nation. It was God who chose Moses that he would lead the children out of Israel. It was God who chose David that he would gain victory over the nation's enemies. And it is God here, the Spirit of God, Jesus says, has chosen me as his chosen servant. Because it's what the Spirit does. Jesus was chosen by God to reveal God's glory to the nations and to save the world. No doubt, beloved. They had read Isaiah before and had always hoped and had always hoped that one day, that day would come. And Jesus declared that the day was there. The promised kingdom of God was in their midst. Would they hear it? Would they believe it? 
would they receive it? The message is clear, beloved. The gospel is the good news. Is the good news that the kingdom of God has come and that is a kingdom of freedom. This is what Jesus declared in that synagogue to his own people. The kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is a kingdom of freedom for all peoples. For all peoples. Notice what he says from Isaiah 61. He says, The kingdom of freedom, because there's liberty for those held captive, it is sight for those blind, it is freedom for those oppressed, it is the year of Jubilee, it is the year of God's favor. It is the extension of God's grace to the nations. Now, beloved, I don't want us this morning to miss the radical nature, the radical nature of these words. I want us to understand the radical nature of the kingdom of God that Jesus here is proclaiming and setting forth as the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is a message of freedom. Don't miss that, beloved, because there is no mistake in that. Freedom. Freedom from sin and shame. Freedom from bondage and oppression. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of forgiveness and a kingdom of freedom. Forgiveness for the oppressor and freedom for the oppressed. You know, we, we, we like to make much of the idea of oppression these days. We do. Everyone, everyone, everyone has an oppression story. Everyone has an oppression story. Beloved, I want to suggest to you this morning that oppression is not new. From the very beginning of peoples and nations, oppression has been a thing. Most people groups, you do realize, beloved, that most people groups in this world, at one time or another, have been oppressed and have oppressed. Humanity has oppressed its neighbors over and over again for various reasons. Reason. Religion, race, color, ethnicity, language, class, gender, I want to remind you this morning that whatever reason oppression has occurred in this world, in your life, 
it is important to remember that God is against oppression. Wherever it is found, beloved, he's against it. So the Bible says, Psalm 72 and verse 4, may he defend the cause of the poor, of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17, God says to the nation, in calling them to repentance, he says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Psalm 146 and verse 7, the Bible says that he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. Wherever, wherever the gospel has been and is faithfully proclaimed, there is liberty. Why? Why, beloved? Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of justice, it is a kingdom of liberty, it is a kingdom of freedom. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from oppression. Listen, listen. In Revelation chapter 5 and, and verse 9, the Bible says that gathered around the throne of God is his people ransomed ransomed from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we read that, and we imagine that it's just about diversity. And it is, beloved. It is about diversity. But it's not just about diversity. It is, as William Wallace would say, freedom. That is freedom. Why? Because gathered around the throne, is a manifestation of the kingdom that in the presence of the Lord, no one is oppressed. In the kingdom, no one is oppressed because of their race. No one is oppressed because of their culture. No one is oppressed because of their tribe or their nation or their gender. They are all gathered on equal footing before the throne of God. That is the kingdom of God. This is the good news. This is the good news. It's the good news of God and His kingdom. Christ has come to set the nations free. 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 Not only from your sins. Not only from your sins. But also freedom from the sins of others. He comes to set you free from your sins and ultimately to set us free from the sin that we have against each other and therefore to set the captives free, to set 
the oppressed free. The glory of the kingdom of God is not just that I am free from my sins, but I am also free from your sins, which would oppress me. The gospel sets people free. Sets people free. Free from the burden of guilt and sin. Free from the bondage of other people's expectations. Free from the weight of the law's demands. Free from the guilt of your own imperfections. Free from the debt owed for sin and sinfulness. Free. Most of us haven't even begun to understand the freedom we have in Christ. And I know that, beloved, because we're stuck on earrings and tattoos and rap music. We're stuck on holidays, Christmas and Halloween and Easter. We're stuck on what we eat and pork and shrimp or what we drink and alcohol or makeup or jewelry or public schools. The gospel of the kingdom of God, beloved, is not food or drink. It's not Halloween candy. It is not nose rings or tattoos. It is that Jesus Christ has come to set us free regardless of where you've been or where you are. That's the kingdom of God. You know what the Bible says? John chapter 8, verse 36, that then whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Free. Free. I hope you get that this morning. hope you get that this morning. The kingdom of God is not race or religion. The kingdom of God is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is freedom. Freedom in Christ. This is the message. This is the message that our Lord proclaimed in that synagogue that day. And this is the message that got our Lord thrown out of that synagogue that day. I hope ain't nobody going to throw me out of here. This is the message for which he was repudiated. This is the message for which he was rejected. And this is the message for which he is still being rejected today. Notice what it says in Luke 4 and 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Then they asked, isn't this Joseph's son? They marveled. They marveled, beloved. They marveled at his words, his eloquence, his wisdom, his graciousness, 
his insight. And they wondered, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Why did they ask that question? Why were they a little bit incredulous by all this? Well, that is because, beloved, usually what you find in children, you find something of it in parents. You know, if you find kids who are kind of good athletes, you know, like the Duncansons, they got good athletes in their children. That's because Allison is a, was a good athlete. Allison was a good athlete, and so she passed those genes down. Normally, <laughs> when you see, am I telling a lie? <laughs> Normally, when you see something in children, you can find something of it in the parents, whether athletics or music, intelligence. Eloquence, beauty. They looked at him and said, Jesus, where did you get that from? How would you know these things? Where did you get this understanding? And we know your people. We know your folks. In fact, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, and verse 55 and 56, they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother named Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? In other words, who does he think he is? How do he think he could talk to us like that? Man, I know your mama. I went to school with your daddy. They thought they knew him. They sent out a friend request. Because they thought they knew him. They thought they were listening to the son of Joseph. But beloved, they were listening to the Son of God. They liked his kingdom talk. But they didn't like the fact that he put himself at the center of it all. Beloved, what happened is that they found themselves just a little too familiar with Jesus. They thought they knew him because they knew about him, because they knew where he was born, because they knew where he was raised. And they were okay with him being Jesus of Nazareth. What they were not okay with, with him being Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ the Lord. And beloved, listen, you don't know Jesus if all you know him is as the son of Mary. You don't know Jesus if you don't know him as the Son of God, the Lord of all creation. This is what the gospel proclaims. This is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus Christ is Lord. 
He is Lord, not just of Nazareth. He is Lord, not just of the Jews, but he is Lord of all. All. And because they didn't know him as the Lord of all, because they didn't recognize him as the Lord of the nations, they went from worship to wrath. They went from glory to anger. They went from adoration to repudiation and rejection. But here's the glory of it all, beloved. Here's the glory of it all. This did not catch our Lord off guard. This was not unexpected by Jesus. Because Jesus not only knew what was written in Isaiah 61, that he was to be the chosen servant, but also what is written in Isaiah 53, that he would be the rejected and suffering servant. In Isaiah 53 and verse 3, the Bible says that he was despised and rejected uh, by men of men of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, rejected, and esteemed not. This too is why he came. This too is what it meant for him to be led by the Spirit. That he would not only be led by the Spirit into the synagogue in Nazareth, but also that he would be led by the Spirit to the cross on Calvary. This is what it means, beloved. This is what the Spirit of the Lord led him to do. This is what it means that he was rejected so that he might buy our freedom. Are we free in Christ this morning? It is because not only Christ is the chosen servant, but he is the suffering servant. That he is the one despised and rejected. Rejected by men. But his rejection is our salvation, beloved. Being rejected, he bore our sins. Being rejected, he carried our guilt. Being rejected, he set us free. That's why we sing, man of sorrow. What a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Say it with me. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. Let's pray.